Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. It is my honor and privilege to have as our guest today, Jason Cusick. He is the lead pastor of Journey of Faith in Southern California. He's also previously served as a pastor of Care Ministries, overseeing grief, recovery, crisis, and counseling ministries. He's also worked as a board-certified hospital chaplain, and I've been immensely encouraged by his recent book, The Anxiety Field Guide, Healthy Habits for Long-Term Healing with InterVarsity Press. Jason, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for, for having me, and I love I love the work you're doing. I love your podcasts and all the ministry that you're doing, so thanks so much for all the good work. I really appreciate that. Jason, tell me a little bit about your backstory. What's been kind of your journey with anxiety, and, and what prompted you to put pen to paper for this really important book? Well, you know, I think I've been dealing with anxiety my whole life. I just didn't know it. It wasn't until about seven years ago when I accepted this position that I'm in now as a lead pastor that it it all kind of came together maybe in the in the worst possible ways. I started having panic attacks and insomnia, started having just some really negative ruminating thoughts and a lot of a lot of worry. And I, I really didn't know what was going on with me. I kind of bottomed out at one point. I was up for 16 hours straight, just ruminating on stuff, trying to pray my anxiety away or trying to just stop my brain from being on this alarm mode. And um, I realized that something was really, really wrong. And through a couple of connections, I ended up calling a counselor that specialized in anxiety and anxiety disorders. And that's when I realized, oh, I got a, I got a problem here. I got, I got this anxiety problem, but I also have some, I discovered I had some latent OCD stuff that I either caught or was taught, you know, growing up that kind of creeped into my life. And that's where I started looking at anxiety and looking at this topic of anxiety and trying to sort it out. And through the process, I just made a lot of notes on my phone and I would go for walks at night and different things stood out to me. And I thought, well, why don't I just put those things down on paper? Because if they really helped me, they might help somebody else. And and that's where kind of this book came from. Jason, talk a little bit about anxiety being caught. I, I think that there's a school of thought that says like, hey, the luck of the draw, some people are hardwired for anxiety and some people aren't. And I hope you're okay. Talk about just whether it's family of origin or relationships that we have or hardwiring for personality. How does anxiety sometimes become learned? Again, I'm just asking you to speak in broad strokes because obviously every situation is different. Yeah, I can say in my family, for example, uh, I grew up in a home that was very orderly, very detailed. And when it was not predictable and detailed, that there was a lot of stress related to that. Um, And so I learned early on that a very ordered and disciplined life was the best kind of life. Hmm. And I think I learned through that, that the, the way to minimize stress and anxiety is predictability. Anxiety is like an un- intolerance to uncertainty. You know, So um, the goal is to get, to not order your life so you have no anxiety. The goal is to live a life where even when your life doesn't have predictability, you can be okay. So I think I, I learned it early on And then I also, uh, there are genetic, biological, predispositional kinds of things. So there is some stuff in my family, OCD kind of related issues, anxiety related issues 
that some of us just are born into it. Like we're born into other kinds of dispositions. You know, some of us uh, catch it that way and some of them catch Some of us catch us by, by upbringing. I appreciate that. That's a super valuable insight, Jason. In the book, you mentioned a story where a very well-meaning individual who heard that you were struggling with anxiety just said like, hey, if, if you pray the magic prayer, spirit of fear, or whatever else it is, people will say it differently based on their, their church tradition. Pray the right words of the right order. All this will go away. As a pastor and as a person of faith, what do you say uh, to people who are feeling guilt or shame because they prayed numerous correct prayers and feel like that anxiety cloud is still a, a perpetual presence in their lives? Well, I, I can tell you the thing that's most helpful to me is I see at least a couple of occasions in Jesus's own life where he was quite anxious, uh, particularly in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and prayed, and I'm not sure it went away even when he was on the cross. Um, so Jesus himself had a certain level of anxiety. I think we can have anxiety and it doesn't communicate mistrust or sin. Uh, it doesn't communicate that we're, we're far from God. And specifically, this specific person was saying that, uh, you know, the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. And that that's true. It doesn't mean a, that there's an evil spirit of fear. It's talking about a disposition. Generally, God, God's spirit is inviting us not to have a disposition of fear. Uh, God is inviting us to live in a new way uh, with uh, peace and self-control and a sound mind. When people are feeling that sense of judgment or that shame, I found it's very helpful to look at anxiety as an invitation to get closer to God. Even when Jesus said, do not be anxious, it wasn't stop. He didn't mean stop feeling that way, you dummy. Uh, it was more, I don't want you to live in anxiety here's how you can stop living in anxiety. Here's how you can take control back of your heart and your mind and your spirit. I think that's so necessary in churches and Christian circles where sometimes the right and wrongness of things is maybe above love, the kind of love that God's showing to us and the kind of love that we can show to each other to help us grow closer to God. Jason, I, that's a great word picture. You also refer to worry as a gift. Can you unpack that a little bit? Because for many of us, worry is a threat that needs to be sprinted away from it at the highest possible speeds. Worry can be a gift in the sense that one of the main principles that really helped me in working through my anxiety was realizing that that there is a, a sense in which anxiety is normal. Anxiety is the response to a perceived threat. So if, you, if you're walking down the street and the light turns green and you're walking across the street and a car is coming up quickly at the stop sign, your heart rate's going to increase and uh, your, your, your eyes are going to dilate and your renal glands are going to produce adrenaline. Um, that's not a bad thing. I mean, God's designed our bodies to sense threat, usually without our choice. Um, and then get ready to respond. So that's anxiety or worry. And that's a good thing. Um, it's what gives us energy to do public speaking. It, what, it's what gets us to go the extra mile when we're running that 5K. Um, that There's a normal sense of worry or anxiety that God has built into us. And that can be a real gift. It can help us push through to do things that we're afraid of. So that's the good part of it. The bad part of it is when 
it limits us from the kind of healthy God-given life that God wants us to have. That's when we move into unhealthy anxiety and and maybe um, anxiety disorders. It's when it's debilitating that that's a problem. But anxiety can be a normal and healthy, good part of life if it's part of God's big picture for who we are. I mean, God's designed us to be scared of certain things, and that's a good thing. Jason, if normalization is the first of those principles, where does the where's the rest of the where's the rest of the journey take us? For me, I think as I got to realize that I don't have to be anxious about my anxiety, that I don't have to be ashamed of it, then the next step is, or what do I do about it? And and kind of the primary treatment for anxiety right now is something called exposure and response prevention it's exposure. Anxiety grows through avoidance. So the way to deal with anxiety is to push through the anxiety and move toward what we fear. Now that, that, uh, anybody who's listening right now that has anxiety is freaking out right now. Cause they're, you know, I mean, we learn early on, if something makes me afraid, I should avoid it. But the way to get through it, uh, the way to deal with anxiety is not to keep avoiding it. I, I like to use the metaphor of an algorithm, like a computer algorithm. If I'm on social media and I click on a video and watch it, the algorithm in the computer makes a note of that and says, oh, you like these videos. I will send you more. Our brain does the same thing. So if you're afraid of something, uh, and then you give in to that fear and you stay afraid, then your brain goes, oh, we're afraid of this. Next time we run across it, I'll send you even more signals to be afraid of it. And that's kind of automatic. We're not making those choices. So there's this algorithm in our brain. Now, you can break the algorithm on social media. On social media, you can say, I don't want to see these videos anymore. I want to see these positive videos, like these nature videos. You start clicking nature videos all the time and start speaking the word nature videos into your phone, the algorithm will eventually just start feeding you positive nature videos and you will not get those other videos anymore. I think exposure is about, let me do the things that I have avoided. And in the process, we start retraining our brains to act differently. It's kind of like Peter stepping out of the boat when Jesus said, yeah, you can come. I mean, Peter, Peter was a, Peter was a fisherman. He understood storms. He also understood um, that he can't walk on water. Uh, and we know that Peter, Peter actually gave into his fears quite a bit. We know even when Jesus was being crucified, he gave into the fear of being recognized as one of Jesus' followers. But in that moment, with his eyes on Jesus, he stepped out of the boat and did something that would have normally made him afraid. And I think that's what God's inviting us to, is exposure. And maybe that means these little steps that we can take to do what we're afraid of. Maybe we just imagine it at first. And then we start experimenting with little by little, even just baby steps, to start pushing through that anxiety. Because the anxiety isn't going to go away until we train it to go away. That's right. I was I was reading a book on, actually, I think I was was watching a film about helping children or adolescents deal with anxiety, and they said that that the exposure principle. One of the girls was she, she had social anxiety. She was afraid of saying the wrong answer in the wrong circumstances, and 
one of her therapy drills is she would go up to the food court in the mall and ask the pizza place if they had sushi, just like on, on purpose, ask a question that she knew she would have the wrong answer to just to expose herself to that. And then realize that, you know, nobody hunted her down or arrested her, or kicked her out of the mall, that, that the consequence of the return on that was actually fairly minimal. And I just, I thought that was a, a, an interesting way to, to practice the principles that you're talking about, both exposure. Yeah. Even just learning to tolerate that anxiety a little bit, you right. know, and, and the, the thing that's usually encouraged first with exposure is, is to do uh, imaginative exposure. So if I was right. working with that young girl, I would say, okay, let's just imagine going up to that pizza place and asking about sushi. And let's just spend a day or two imagining doing that. And you get stressed out, just imagining it. Now talk yourself down. Now work with those feelings, accept that anxiety, remind yourself that you're okay, take a deep breath. And then imagine again, allow yourself to get stressed and anxious and then talk yourself down again. And even this conversation that we're having right now for people with anxiety, this conversation they're listening to is also a form of exposure because they're hearing something that is making them anxious. And then hopefully we're reminding them that they're okay. It's okay. We're going to be okay, but then we're going to keep moving along. Perfect. So Jason, normalization, exposure, experimentation, mm -hmm. is there more? Yeah, I would say care is a big part of that. Okay. So um, self-care, I think one of the biggest strategies for dealing with our anxiety is working through what we say to ourselves and what we believe. I think a lot of us with anxiety have a lot of negative self-talk and we might even have some beliefs about the world or about ourselves or about god that are just not true and those are like automatic tapes that just get played they just pop into our mind right away and maybe just identifying the, that automatic thinking or those automatic feelings and not believing them right away maybe just observing them I think about times in my life where I have started to get anxious and then I'll go, why am I anxious? Oh, it's so stupid to be anxious. Okay, wait a minute. Is that true? Okay, that's an automatic thought and an automatic feeling, but is it accurate? So I think self-care involves being aware of our minds and what we believe and then also our bodies. Are we getting enough sleep? Are we resting? Are we taking care of ourselves physically? Do we have life-giving hobbies because with anxiety a lot of the time uh, our, our our most strenuous workout time is in our heads you know we overthink and it's like there's a time to just go for a walk and not think or have a workout or swim or something like that so i think caring for ourselves is super important Jason, one of the tools that you offer in the book is, is, a, is a mood tracker or a mood journal. Explain how you came across that and, and how that's been helpful for you. Yeah, I, I noticed that there were certain days and certain times of the days where I had different moods. Uh, I was more restless and anxious on Sunday mornings and Wednesday mornings. Um, I was easily triggered by my anxiety at certain times of the day and certain times of the week. And I, and that, you know, that's with all of us. Uh, we're not all triggered toward anxiety in the same way at the same times. 
So I think a tool that I found very helpful is, is just keeping a mood log. Um, just how am I feeling today? What's going on with me right now? Um, a little bit of self-awareness um, and keeping track of it. Because then you can usually find, sometimes you can find some patterns. And then you can start better identifying what triggers your anxiety and what you can do about it. Start predicting it a bit. And is that a log that you just keep in real time throughout the course of the day? Or do you just kind of do a day in review? You kind of think back at the end and say, hey, what what were my experiences? I've done it in different ways. I usually did it at the end of the day. But because I had something, I had like a notes option on my phone that uh, if I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm just real stressed out right now. I just make a note of the time. And then I go on with the rest of my day. That way I didn't focus on it too much. And then I go back at the end of the day and go, gosh, what was happening right around that time? Who's I talking to? What meetings did I have? What, what appointments were coming up? Then I could start kind of like plotting it out a little bit to see what was happening. And when you could identify themes and triggers, then, then how did you move forward from there, Jason? Well, then I could say, okay, what was it? So for me, sometimes it was meetings with key people that I was concerned about upsetting or disappointing. So then I could prepare for that. I could say, okay, I am going to be stressed out on Wednesday mornings. So on Mondays and Tuesdays, I would begin preparing. Okay, what am I stressed out about? Okay, what am I feeling? How can I prepare? How can I ready myself for the emotions that I'm going to have? And how can I recognize that those emotions might not be based in reality? It might be some of the you know, the pattern that I've learned, you know, if I've regularly allowed myself to live in my anxiety for months and months, when it comes to Wednesday mornings, breaking that anxiety or changing that pattern in my brain may take some time. So, okay. So I'm going to be a little bit more stressed out. Okay. Let me pray a little bit more before ahead of time, you know, not to get rid of those anxious feelings, but God help me be, be with me in those anxious feelings. Help me to see through them, not work around them. And then for key people in my life, letting them know. Um, I went into a meeting the other day <laughs> and I was really triggered and anxious about some stuff. And I said, hey, let's start the meeting. I'd like to start with prayer. And also, I just want to let you know, I'm a little salty today. I just need to let you know, I'm, I don't know all that's going on, but I feel like I'm easily triggered. So forgive me if I'm a little punchy. Um, and, and that normalized it a bit. And people were like, well, thanks for letting us know. We kind of joked about it a little bit, but we were able to get through it. So I think having people in our life that we can just say this stuff to, right? we don't have to be so anxious about it. Jason, as a parent, how do you help your kids walk their respective journeys when it comes to navigating anxiety? Oh, man. I have been trying to squirrel away money for years for their therapy so that... (laughs) So they can work through their stuff. Because I think I've passed this on to my kids just in my behavior and in my genetically as well. I think with my kids, probably have to ask them, but I've had conversations with them about this. I think me just working on my own stuff in front of them and letting them know what I'm dealing with. You know, kid, younger kids today, anxiety is like, I don't know any kid that doesn't have anxiety. And, and especially in this upcoming generation of teenagers, I feel like they are so in tune with anxiety as a part of life. So I think I'm, I think the best thing that I'm able to do is kind of normalize that and work on myself 
learn the kind of things that I can share with them and they can see me doing. They're, they're watching me push through my anxiety. They're watching me take care of myself. They're watching me be honest about my anxiety and not letting it dominate my life and getting the professional help uh, that I need. They're seeing that it is not a problem to go to a therapist. I'm on a, a low dose of anti-anxiety medication. They see that. So that it's not stigmatized for them. Um, the good part is, is that treatment for anxiety is so readily available now. And we understand so much about anxiety now. So it's like, it's not something you're like, oh, I guess, I guess I just have to suffer from this my whole life. No, this is, this is manageable. We can get help for this. And that's, that's the good news about it. Well, I appreciate your commitment to a normalizing it, destigmatizing it and, and empowering people to walk step-by-step step through it. Jason, you, you mentioned medication. You're, you're a pastor. You've thought through this at a theological level and a personal level and an emotional level. There, there are still some schools of thought that say, Hey, if you really love Jesus, you don't have to take meds. How have you figured that out in your own life? And what is your encouragement to your congregants and to, and to our listeners by extension? Yeah, I think that there's, fortunately, there's a lot of really good non-medicinal approaches out there. Some of the initial stuff that I did was some great stuff by Jeffrey Schwartz, uh, which was kind of a non-medicinal approach toward changing habits with anxiety and OCD. I used to work as a hospital chaplain, so I'm very familiar with body, mind, relationship stuff. Um, more particularly when it comes to medication, body, brain stuff. The brain is an organ. It's an organ of the body, just like the liver, just like the heart. And so I believe that God has created us with organs in our bodies and we live in a fallen and broken world where we have problems. And I think if there is a problem with a physical organ in your body that needs long-term or short-term adjustment, that there are resources available to do that. My friend described medication as uh, like water wings in a pool. So if you can't swim, you get some floaties on. And then as you learn to swim, you let the air out of those floaties. Now I know some people that can't swim at all and they, and they just can't. And when they go swimming, they're wearing a life vest and that way they can swim. It doesn't make them bad or doubt filled or lazy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I think that there's historically been a, a problem with stigmatizing medication among religious, uh, in religious communities. But I think that the more we understand Psalm 139, that God has made us wonderfully complex. And the more we understand about the brain and the body, the more open it makes us to discovering new ways to help us lean into the fullness that God wants for our lives. And that can include medicine, aromatherapy, herbal remedies, all kinds of different treatments, acupuncture, all different kinds of treatments that help these wonderfully complex bodies of ours get synced up more with God's plan for our lives. That's helpful. Jason, last question. Tell us why you chose to format the book the way that you did. Because it's not just a, hey, sit down, crank through 150 or 200 pages in one sitting type of writing. For people who haven't been exposed to the Anxiety Field Guy yet, 
Tell us how how you got to this particular model and why you think that's going to be helpful for readers. Thanks for asking that. So I, I read a lot of books on anxiety and I just flew through them and they were two different kinds. One of them were the kind of clinical workbooks. Okay. There's like, you know, a ton of things to fill out and there's all this clinical information and they're super thick. And then I also read kind of the Christian devotionals, which were, you know, kind of chapter by chapter was like, trust the Lord, follow Jesus, read your Bible. And it was great stuff. But I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was something in between, something in between that had some clinical stuff that had some devotional stuff. And what if there was just a little bit each day? Or the chapters were just small enough to consume. Because the other thing with people with anxiety, they're so, those of us with anxiety, we're so desperate to get rid of the anxiety that we just consume material because we're looking for a fix. If I just finish this book, then the feeling will go away. But I found with anxiety, it's really good to just have small doses, read something, think about it reflect on it. You don't need a lot of information. So I set it up as 30 readings that if you wanted to do it in 30 days, you could, but don't do more than a chapter a day, because there's probably a lot in there that you need to process. As a pastor, I'm super picky. I I feel like we have more sermons than we can apply. Right. I I feel like most of us, I got a sermon, I got a Bible study, I listened to three or four sermons on the way to work or something like that. We need time to process those and apply them. So I kind of laid it out with the idea of one a day or might be one reading that maybe it takes four or five days to really internalize it. And then over time, we can make some progress. That's great. Thank you so much for your time. Any final words of encouragement for people who might be earlier in their kind of wrestling match with anxiety to, to let them know that there, there is hope as they kind of take baby steps forward? Yeah, the big thing that I keep going back to, and I said in the beginning, is anxiety can be an invitation to get closer to God. Don't let the shame or the embarrassment or the need to get rid of the anxiety keep you from just inviting God into those anxious moments. Don't think that, try to discourage the thinking, the black and white thinking that says, I can't have a relationship with God that is vibrant and growing and loving until I get rid of this anxiety. That's not how it works. Invite God into those anxious moments to be with you, whether or not the anxiety goes away or not. Um, Invite God into those moments and start appreciating his presence right in the midst of those anxious times. And I I think you're going to see some progress. Thanks so much. That's very uh, much needed advice for, for a lot of us who are walking this path. Again, the book is The Anxiety Field Guide, Healthy Habits for Long-Term Healing by Jason Cusick by InterVarsity Press. You can find it wherever you get your books. Uh, I'm working through it now and can't recommend it highly enough. You've been listening to Hope Through Hard Stuff. Thanks so much for being part of this conversation, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.